0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we are very fortunate to have Jack Teller on the show. Welcome, Jack. Thanks, Jeremy. It's not the sons of anarchy jack teller which is what i found when i googled his name at first Uh, this jack is an ae at Netsuite, and i found him because i've been asking people who are some of the top aes that you know and jack has not just been crushing quota he's been destroying quota year after year as i went through his linkedin profile i I saw some interesting factoids uh, one of which is the picture that he's he's got in his profile picture so love to get to know you by asking like, what is that picture and and why is it there?
1: Yeah, you're probably referencing the, the canoe picture. So one of my favorite summers was uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe five years ago at this point, but one of my best friends and I decided to uh, quit working fancy internships and we took a canoe down the Mississippi River. So we started where the, uh, in the Ohio River actually, where the Ohio meets the Mississippi from there, it's about a thousand plus miles to salt water, And so we spent a little over a month canoeing down, camping on the, on the banks of the Mississippi, and we made it all the way to the Gulf. I, I don't know if I've ever
0: mentioned this on the show, but I'm, I'm an avid fisher person, fisherman. Did you do any fishing when you were on the river? Is that a thing?
1: We didn't on purpose. We, we had to move a pretty serious amount of mileage every day, so we didn't really have time.
0: I, you know, I, I always like to ask people to, to kind of segue from some of these things like books that they've read and experiences that they've had into, into sales. Maybe this is too cheesy, but I got to ask it, which is like, what lessons did you learn taking that trip that you've applied to your career as as time has progressed?
1: The the first one is that people are just awesome. I, I think especially in sales, a lot of the time when we're talking to people, we want something out of them or they think that we want something out of them or something like that. Or there's at least some sort of agenda going on. Uh, on that trip, the the biggest takeaway wasn't the the time with my friend or the the beauty of the river or whatever. The biggest takeaway was the people, because everybody we met was just was just incredible. We didn't like pay for our own groceries or supplies once on the whole trip. Every time we went into town, I mean, we stuck out like a sore thumb. We're wearing like muddy shirts and stuff like that, so people are saying like, "What the heck are you guys doing? Who are you?" And we explain. Everybody thought it was awesome. They were buying us beers. They were buying us groceries. They were taking care of us. They were putting us up in hotels here and there. Like human beings are just awesome, right? As far as sales go, there, there's a little bit of selling, kind of weirdly to it. Um, we were both totally broke college students at the time, and we were deciding not to work to do this trip, so we needed money, right? So we pursued a bunch of sponsorships. So, so I, I was kind of selling in a sense. Like I, I cold called some executive at Dick's Sporting Goods. Told him about the trip, kind of challenged him, like, "Isn't this what Dix is all about? Like, come on, we're broke college students. Like, help make this a reality." And so he he gave us like a bunch of like a thousand dollars to Dix type thing to go get gear and you know cold called a bunch of other local outfitters and stuff like that to kind of sell them on it. So yeah, I mean, it's fundraising, which is a different type of sales.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think if what you were doing was so unusual that people want to hear the story. And then when you tell them the story, right, they engage and they build trust and rapport. So, so there you are, you finish your, your trip, you said down what in, a, in Louisiana, did you end?
1: Uh, yeah. So just past new Orleans, you know, it's another like two days of canoeing.
0: So, so now you're, you're done canoeing and you're, you're jobless. How do you find your way from canoeing down the Mississippi to, to actually getting into sales?
1: Yeah, so um, the way I got into sales was super roundabout. So a bit later, I I had this uh, this internship in college for I was the like fifth or sixth employee for this small tech startup in Dallas. It was a pretty cool startup. Ended up being on Shark Tank. They competed in TechCrunch Disrupt, and I actually got to go and you know help be part of the team at TechCrunch, which was a really really cool special event. Got to meet a lot of awesome people. Mark Andreessen, you know, I was able to hang out with him for a little bit a couple other, you know, real, real movers. Um, so anyway, I'm like the fifth employee at the, and I'm just an intern, right? At this startup. And it was really cool because we there weren't job descriptions. You know, there are five employees, the job description is, you know, run the business and make money. Right. And so as an intern, it was a really cool experience as an intern, because you're doing everything from customer support to sales to like, I launched our product in new markets, you know, you're looking at, customer churn metrics and you know kind of like kind of corporate strategy and stuff like that but that was a lot of fun and i worked that job for almost a year and i found that towards the back half of that 10 months like all i was doing was sales like i had somehow just kind of naturally kind of shoved all the other work onto other people and the only thing i was like i cared about was selling this product right That that's what naturally drew me in and so college was coming to an end and i kind of Did some self-reflection and realized, like, I had this job where I could have naturally gravitated towards anything, right? It could have been more product-focused, operations, finance, whatever. I kind of had a blank slate. And I never knew this about myself. I was an economics guy, you know, at a liberal arts school for college. I never thought about sales in my life before, but did some self-reflection and saw this is where, you know, I naturally took myself. So this probably makes sense to pursue.
0: So, so you got incredible exposure there. And I think that's, that's important, right? Like into sales, into marketing, into s- customer success. You could have chosen to go, I guess, any one of those avenues, but you chose sales in particular. Was there a reason that resonated more with you than some of the other functions?
1: I think that's what I was naturally being drawn towards the most. At Robin, I also saw the most you know, income upside. And then the, the big question of mine was because this, this idea of sales was so new to me. I was like, all right, you know, if this is what I'm going to do, great. I'd like to do it at the, the highest level that there is, type thing. So I did a lot of research into kind of what the best like BDR programs are that are out there for big tech companies. And I came across NetSuite specifically, kind of via Oracle, right? And NetSuite has a pretty sweet BDR program. So so that that's kind of what I specifically chased down was a program itself, not just a job.
0: Why were you so hungry, especially after having the startup experience to go with an established program?
1: I thought doing an established program would give me more options long-term. I figured if I did that for a couple of years, I could pretty easily flip into the startup world.
0: And what, what was it about the program? Like what did, what features did it have that drew you in?
1: It, it had a very kind of clearly defined um, timeline, right? You, you come in, there's a certain ramp period, you're inbound for X amount of months, then you're outbound for X amount of months, supporting X amount of reps. You get a shadow deal cycles all the way through. There's a lot of product training, you know, BDRs at NetSuite have to go through complete product demos. So it just felt like a really holistic program to me.
0: There's a high failure rate in the BDR world, right? Like people either try to be BDRs and then they move on to different industries or they try to be BDRs. Things don't work out. Maybe they move into CS or support. You know, were there any magic moments or magic insights that you gained through that program that you think would help people be successful in SDR and BDR roles?
1: Yeah, kind of two different uh, answers, one direct and one pretty roundabout. The roundabout answer is that because I was working at a startup where I was doing all sorts of things and sales was just a part of it, within my first couple months in the BDR program, I, I started to realize all I'm doing is this one thing, right? I'm, I'm fielding these inbound leads and you know, I'm a BDR and that's what I'm doing. And I had this desire to learn a lot more about the company and kind of how... What goes on in deal cycles? You know what actually is an ERP system. Like I had a very limited understanding of that. You know, as a new BDR, stuff like that. So, the beauty of sales and something that I've always really appreciated about sales is the fact that we have this singular metric that rules everything, and that's your quota. Uh, the quota makes life very simple as a sales rep. That's you have to be a team player, and you have to do X, Y, and Z. But at the end of the day. Your quota is what measures your success, right? So as a BDR with a quota, I, I got really behind that idea. And I thought, hey, if I can just destroy my quota really quickly, then I can go do whatever I want. As a BDR three months in, if I crush my BDR quota, I can go you know, hunt down SCs and take them out to lunch and ask them to explain to me what actually is an ERP system and what's NetSuite. And I can go talk with our account managers and say, like, who are our customers? Who are they? right? And and how do they use the system? And what is it that we actually do here, right? And so I got really behind that idea and put my head down and did the grind and attacked my quota kind of for the sole purpose of getting cut loose to do other stuff. And that drove me a lot as a BDR was because I was really, you know, hoping to be ramped well to hit the ground running as an AE. And so I was, you know, almost attacking my quota hard so that I could go do other things.
0: As an inbound rep, one might presume that you know your quota attainment is more driven by just what is coming to you. What would distinguish one inbound SDR from a, another one who who might not be as successful?
1: There's a high degree of variance, I think, in the the quality of the lead you get from marketing. Right, you, you get a white paper that's very different than a demo request, but they both go to the inbound BDR, right? And so I, I think kind of putting on your your outbound hat early, in a sense, and you know you got a couple, you know, demo requests online and those are pretty easy. And then 50 white paper downloads that, you know, nobody thinks is going to turn into anything and kind of flipping the mentality from sure I'm inbound right now, but I'm going to attack this as if I'm an outbound BDR. I think there's a big difference there.
0: We've talked on the show before about this issue about is a white paper download a lead or not. It sounds like you were able to convert some of those. What was your approach?
1: The way that I kind of categorized those leads in my head was you know, this is not an inbound lead. This is NetSuite letting me be an outbound BDR. So I got this white paper download from the VP of finance at this company. The way I'm thinking about it is I can now prospect into this company. I'm allowed to do that, right? So I would launch into prospecting after a bunch of different contacts there. You know, John Smith downloaded a white paper. So let's go talk to him. I shoot it as ABC company is now a company that I'm allowed to prospect into.
0: So you're doing that, and you're and you said if you if if only you were successful doing that, which you were, then you know you get promoted into into uh, a new world. So when you got tapped to move into becoming an account executive, did you feel prepared to make that move? Because a lot of times, right, you've got SDRs who are calling, prospecting, emailing, doing LinkedIn social touches, and so on, and then all of a sudden, you know, they've got a revenue quota to hit, and there's a ton of skills that are our sort of middle of funnel and bottom of funnel skills that they never got exposure to. How did you pick up those extra skills?
1: During the last, maybe 25% of my tenure as a BDR, I had attached myself pretty closely to the hip of one of the the best uh, account executives in our office. And I was just grinding, you know, like a dog to feed him. Right. I I was giving him a ton of leads. And as a result, he did me a, like a lot of solids, right? He let me go on-site to on-site demos in Chicago with him. He let me you know, shadow a ton, of, like hop on as a silent Zoom member on a ton of demos. He let me shadow pricing calls. He let me shadow implementation review, scoping, et cetera, et cetera. So that was kind of my relationship with this guy was, hey, I will bring you more leads than you can ever know what to do with, but you know, I'd like to be prepared for the next role. And he was awesome about it. So I, I felt more prepared than I think I would have. But at the same time, yeah, I, I was totally not prepared. I had no idea how to close a deal. I had no idea how to, you know, keep multiple stakeholders involved during one demo and kind of juggle different people's priorities on on demonstrations or scoping exercises or whatever.
0: You know, there's often this question about like work hard versus work smart. I I love rooting out false dichotomies. And that one to me is a very, is a false dichotomy, which is work hard or work smart and right. Work smart is both in my mind. No one will outlearn me and no one's going to outwork me. That's a choice, right?
1: Yeah. I had a, so I was on the rugby team in in college and I had this incredible rugby coach who was one of the, I don't think he had any idea, but you know, some of the things that he said is have become real kind of a pillar statements in my career. I, I went to the university of Dallas. It's this. 1300 undergrad liberal arts school. We were super unathletic and our rugby coach kept on saying like, guys, we will like, we're never going to be the most athletic, but we will be the best at the things that require no talent. So what we're going to do is we're going to take like a full, like detailed inventory of everything that goes into this game. And we're going to identify what requires talent and what doesn't. And a lot of these things do require talent, but more of these items don't require talent. They just require identifying what they are and then making the decision that you're going to be the best at them. And I think that really, really rings true in sales. I think there's a lot of this job, you know, like I don't mean to put myself down or any other account executives down, but there's a lot of this job that if you do a very granular inventory of kind of what goes into being an account executive, there's a lot of the pieces that really don't require talent. They require identifying that they don't require talent and then making the decision that you're going to be the, you're going to be excellent at those pieces. You know, taking incredible notes, getting your team ramped up, making sure your team has everything they need, you know, having the right cadence with your prospect, et cetera, et cetera. And it's easy to think, yeah, well, those are all kind of obvious, duh, things. But I don't think a whole lot of people are proactively identifying that these do not require talent so that there is no reason why you shouldn't be the best at all of these items. And then boom, that's 75% of your job, right? It's all
0: the it's all the little things, you're right, that don't require any special IQ, they don't require any special learned or innate talent. It's simply, right as you said, take great notes, follow up with prospects as fast as possible. I, I'm curious, what do you think is in the other category though where you differentiate yourself based on a skill that you that you learn and practice and acquire?
1: So, I've had a number of peers at NetSuite, you know, ask me, "Hey man, what are you doing that's different?" that sort of thing. I find myself kind of struggling to answer that question a lot of the time because I think one of the things that I do really well is it it sounds so standard, but understanding my prospects business model. So NetSuite, for people who don't know it, NetSuite is an ERP system, so an accounting system, right? At its core, it does other things like project management and inventory management and runs your manufacturing process and actually has a CRM. So it's a very back office operational system. The best way I've found to sell NetSuite is to just get an incredibly deep understanding of the business model. Right. And so you say that to anybody, and people say, okay, well, yeah, duh, you know, that's what we're all doing. But if I had to, you know, pick a couple areas where I think, you know, I, I do have kind of figured out how to do something pretty well, I figured out a process to sit down with somebody and kind of really get deep into their business model. And kind of by the end of the call, I can look at my notes. And if I forgot to ask about sections of their business, I've, I know enough about the other areas that I can kind of infer what I missed and stuff like that. And that really helps.
0: Now you've got me super intrigued. It sounds like there, there's some sort of asset that you're, that you've developed and are using in order to understand the nature of, of the businesses that you're selling into. Can you, can you describe what that, what that is?
1: Yeah. So a good buddy of mine and I built out, we, we built out this process flow document for kind of how to take a business you can kind of start in any area, start in, you know, demand gen, start in uh, accounting processes, start in project management, whatever it is, start in any kind of process area of their business and kind of using this process flow document. You can kind of start weaving through their entire business and you have to you know, be practicing really active listening and follow up questions and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But what we've developed really helps us kind of break down a business efficiently and, and in a really in-depth manner. What are the key questions that you're
0: answering? I would presume one of the big questions is how do you actually make money, right? That's probably the biggest question. Are there, are there others that you're trying to answer with that process flow?
1: How do you make money? Who are your customers? And then they say something. You say, no, really? Who are your customers? Who's your first ever customer? What are the different types of customers that you have? Where do they come from? Do different types of customers come from different avenues, etc.? cetera? Anytime a product is involved, that's a whole kind of logical process flow. How are you receiving inventory? What's your inventory process? At what point are we actually shipping a widget out the door type thing, which is also similar to the world of project management. But I, I think the really interesting thing is is why we, we had to develop something like this. So my friend and I were, we both got promoted out of the BDR organization to our uh, NetSuite's um, emerging sales team. So we're selling to real small businesses, right? Like Five million dollars in revenue and less. Like these are these are very small companies, right? And uh, we we were really struggling because we'd get on the phone with these companies and we would say, you know, what are you looking for in your new system? Tell us, so we can write down notes and show you that in the demo. And with companies this small, everybody was a first-time software buyer. These guys had never bought software before, and if they had, they had definitely never bought an ERP system before. So what I started to find was that. If I was sitting there and saying, what do you, like, what do you need? What are your pain points, right? The most generic sales questions ever. What are your pain points? What would you like? Then I am only being fed with information that is kind of as mature as that prospect's understanding of the type of software that we have to offer, which really limited us, right? These guys had no idea what the world of enterprise ERP looked like. So they would just talk from their own experience about what they thought they needed. And so we were really limited with what we could show them. So instead, we flipped it. And for all of my discovery calls that year, um, I would say, hey, my name is Jack with NetSuite. And that was the last time the word NetSuite was said. And for the rest of the call, it was, no, I am not here to ask you what you want to see in this demo. I'm not here to ask you what your pain points are. I'm going to understand your business better than anybody else does. And then I'm going to tell you what you need, right? And we it was kind of... Out of necessity, that we had to start taking that approach to sell effectively because otherwise, you were just hoping that these people would have the right pain points.
0: If somebody doesn't have an immediate pain, you can use that challenger approach and still win the business.
1: Not as much. You have to be pretty delicate. The thing that rings true across both inbound and outbound is that people like to talk about themselves and people like for other people to be excited about them. These conversations I'm describing, these are not Zoom calls following an agenda in front of a PowerPoint. I'm catching somebody on their 40 minute commute and we're talking on their cell phone. And this is a casual conversation where I'm getting fired up about their business. I think it's the coolest thing in the world that this is some small company that has customers that actually pay them, right? And they can then pay their employees and they participate in the economy, right? Like I'm sitting there thinking that's the coolest thing in the world. And it's like, man, that's awesome. Who are your customers? Where do they come from? No way, you know that that sort of thing. And so, from the outbound perspective, yeah, totally. People aren't going to sit down for an hour, you know, and just let me ask them about their business model. But but you can do it to a lesser degree, I think.
0: You know, these days, obviously, you're you're doing extremely well, uh, hitting quota. I find a lot of top sellers have someone else that they're competing neck and neck with, quarter in and quarter out. Do you have someone like that? In your organization,
1: absolutely. Shout out Kyle Milligan. There's a lot of similar things. He, he's an absolute monster. I really look up to him. There's a lot of similarities. He he's always been a little bit more of a of a of a volume guy, more logos type thing. I've historically had a, a larger you know average sales price. He's historically had a lot more logos. You know, very different approach to the business. You know, very different approach to you know discounting conversations and stuff like that. Both. Obviously, work really well, which is really cool to see.
0: It sounds like you you're um, holds more firm on on pricing. How how do you prevent yourself from going down that instant max discount
1: route? I try to have a really honest conversation with the prospect. At this point, we've been through you know three, four, five, six months together, a bunch of hours. We've been you know really in the weeds of their business and challenging them on how to run the business differently and stuff like that. So there's typically a you know pretty awesome level of mutual respect, and so we'll show pricing at a certain discount. And then it's just a very awesome, honest question. Like, look, are we the vendor of choice or not? And if we are, you know, if we can, you know, make this, you know, pricing where you need it to be, when can you sign, right? So you got commitment on the vendor of choice and the, you know, executing a signature time frame. And then, you know, verbatim say to my prospects is like, this is going to turn from a, from a pricing presentation into a pricing workshop here. You know, if you guys want to work with NetSuite and you're upfront about that and you give us what we need, Yeah, we absolutely want to make make something work with you guys, but if we're not the vendor of choice, you know, this is too big a decision. We're not gonna race to the bottom. We are not gonna try to cut price to, you know, to win you over, you know, even though you'd rather work with somebody else. You know, if every if everything's free, would you choose us? You know, and if not, you know, here's X amount of discount, but you know, we shouldn't do business together.
0: Two things just popped into my mind. One was one of the most clever things a rep ever did when selling to me was they said, first meeting we're not the cheapest provider. And I I had so much respect actually. I think it's a really uh I think it's a really effective statement. And, and as a buyer, like it, ultimately I'm going to come down to two two different solutions and if if they're within like 15-20% of each other, I would kick myself for buying an inferior solution to to save 20%. The other thing you mentioned that I really appreciated was like it's not a pricing negotiation or discussion as a pricing workshop so it becomes collaborative jack thank you so much for being on and i know for folks that want to connect with you uh, i'll give folks a hint Uh, not only does it look like you can connect with him on linkedin but he actually puts his email address directly into his linkedin profile so you have no excuse for not tapping him up if you need some uh, guidance and advice jack thank you so much for being on today
1: yeah of course thanks
0: jeremy Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.